Everyone, welcome to Life of Brian. Dot dot dot. Manix, that is the podcast. Hello, Brian Manix. Hello, Kevin Hillier. How are you? I'm well. You've done a gig. I did a gig. Yeah, it was great to get back out there, and I even enjoyed sound check, which I never enjoyed. But wow, um, no, it was good. It was a little outdoor gig at Murchison, and um, a lot of people came, and everybody had a good time, and was going, having a great time. So, yeah, it was really good to get back to work. And, look, it's, it's uh, you know, the year 2021 and we're allowed to dance, we're allowed to yeah. sing and we're allowed yeah. to move about without any kind of uh, PPE or whatever it's called encumbersome on our person. It's unbelievable. It's, um, it's good to be back. Um, yeah. It's nice. Because... I've had enough of the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think we all have. Uh, thanks, as usual, to uh, Murcotts. Uh, there are new premises. They've just moved into new premises in Mitcham, so they're all excited about that, as they should be. And they have big savings going. Uh, jump on the website. That's murcotts.edu.au and check out uh, the um, the Christmas safe driving gift vouchers that are available now. Grab one of those. Great discount on that at the moment, and you get it on the website, murcotts.edu.au, or give them a call, one three hundred five five five. Five seven six. Have you found that there's a lot of learner drivers on the road at the moment? Yes, enormous the backlog. The <laughs> backlog from the COVID. Yes. Uh, in fact, someone was talking to me the other day about uh, waiting to get their son or daughter a license, and the backlog is till f- like March or April of next year. Right around my area, there's all of these learn to drive cars, and they're so there must be like their first lesson or something. Yeah. So slow and tentative and that, and you sort of look at that and you go, should get down to Murcotts, you know. <laughs> yes, get your licence, get down to Murcotts. If this is as good as you're going to get, you might need a little bit of extra help. Uh, I did a defensive driving course very early because I had I was told to, I was I had to because the police made me do one when I was 17 in Don't Queensland. Speak to me about the police, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about my run in with the police. Right, uh, okay. Best thing you can do is learn how to di- drive defensively because we all drive way too aggressively. Learn to drive defensively, you learn you learn a lot more about you know peripheral vision, all those things, and and defensive driving, advanced driving. That's why uh, Mukots are so good at what they do. And so important. The Bull Sisters. Oh, Bull. We love them. We do love them. They're great, aren't they? They've been great for many, many years. And they're lovely people. And they've got a great record. And they have. How good is that? It's called the it's called The Weight is the album. We're gonna play a couple of tracks off it. We're gonna talk to Vicar and Linda. The album's been out now for a couple of months, but it's uh, it's doing really well. And look, if you if you like their work and you think, oh yeah. Listen to this album. This album is such a beautiful showcase of their voices and some great songs. You'll love it. I do. I yeah, love it. It is. And okay. I like the record as well. Yeah. yeah good. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, get it all out of your system now before the interview. Uh, Go on. Get it all out of your Go on. I Go on. Out of my system right now. It's coming through my pores and ah, uh, okay. All right, let's uh, let's uh, chat to the to the ladies now. Vicar and Linda Bull talking about their brand new album, The Weight. Hello, ladies. Hey, well done on the album, ladies. Hello. It's it's great. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Really good. Um, well, nineteen years. It'd want to be good. <laughs> nineteen years in the making. How does an album take nineteen years to make? Oh, the question. Well, we were doing other things. Democracy took 20, but yeah, okay. (laughs) And the the pyramids, they took 20. Um, Well, We were working with other people and and we were touring with other people and we did five records with Paul Kelly. We did the Mary Souls album, his three number one albums. We did lots of stuff with Rockwiz. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of kept us busy. And then when lockdown happened... We realised, okay, now's the time to kind of pull the focus to ourselves and we did that. Yeah. I was going to ask you how um, lockdowns treated you over the last eight I know it's been shit house for me, but um, how have you guys coped with it? It's been a bit of a roller coaster, you know, good yeah. days, bad days, eat too much, drink too much, mm. all that sort of stuff, you know. It's like, phew, 
So now it's like, okay, we're opening up, time to get serious, get in shape. Yeah, right. Yeah. So were you able to record while COVID was on or you just was most of it done? We couldn't do anything in lockdown, Brian. Oh, oh okay. No, nah, so. it was all done. When it opened up, we'd go in, do stuff, you know what I mean? So everything, when we did, most of it was on Zoom, it was just discussions. And then when, when things opened up for a minute, then we'd charge in, do stuff, and then get locked down again. It was like back to, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, yeah, I know how you feel. Kevin? Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the selection of songs because uh, the, the songwriting on this is just like a, a, an encyclopedia of Australian rock great songwriters. How did you, how did you pick one from the other and, and decide on what finished up on being on the album? Well, it was a collaboration between Vicar and I. We had to really sit down and talk carefully about why we would choose a song, what it was about the song that, you know, appealed to us because it's not just the lyrics, it's the melody. They had to tick those boxes. We had to get what we were singing about. You can't fake, you know, an emotion. You had to feel it. And that was how we chose those songs. Like, it didn't really matter who wrote them, honestly, as much as we love the, you know, incredible list of songwriters that wrote them. It was more about do we know what we're singing about? Yeah. yeah. Does it mean something? Yeah, if it doesn't mean something to you, how's it going to mean something to somebody else? I... That's right, Brian. It's a tricky thing, you know, especially when, you know, this song, this a lot of this album was written, well, mo- all of it was written. We didn't write one song on the record, you know. We Linda set out five years ago and got the ball rolling, and but her songs just didn't make the cut. So it was just like, you know, this, well, it was, yeah. it was, uh, yeah, unfortunately, hopefully, <laughs> next record. But, yeah. um, but that's true. But we're you, good you enough. <laughs> oh, here we go, Brian. We could be in trouble here. Oh boy! No, but, but that's true. It's true. It's like it's it's. Can we sing this song as honestly as possible? You 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 have to look at the lyrics and go. Can you know? Because we're, sto- we're we're telling a story. It's like can we? We have to be able to have lived it, experienced it, to be able to sing it. They mean something to you. It's got to mean yeah. something to you. Otherwise, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to sing yeah. a, a Hall and Oates song because. But it's nothing to me. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm happy to do a cover or somebody else's song if it means something to me. Um, and there's some songs that mean more to me that other people have written than I've written myself. Um, but you have written songs in the past together. And um, so, yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty noble that you sort of go, nah, we're going to just go with these songs because, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists wouldn't do that. They go, nah, my song's on the album or get stuffed. And so... <laughs> That's a pretty um, mature way to make your album, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's a question, but um, you can no, well, comment on it. I'd like to comment on that. Uh, you know, then if that would happen, then our album would, our album would have been all filler, you know what I mean? Yeah, So right. it's like we just wanted, because we hadn't put a, a record out for 19 years, sorry, is that my stupid computer? We want to put a record out that that every single song is strong, you know, and that we can go out and play that album in its entirety when it's time to tour it, and not go, oh, I'm not really that fond of that song. Can we leave that off the set list, please? So you you, you do the selection of songs, and you come up with the songs that are finished up on the album. So then, who decides who sings what? Because I know there's one particular song since you're gone, where I think Vicky, you were originally going to sing it, and then <laughs> and then the songwriter said, oh, no. So tell yeah, us, tell us about that it. process. Well, yeah, it's a rock song, you know. Neil Murray and uh, Matt Walker wrote Since You're Gone. You know, I normally get the rockin' tracks. I'm known as the belter, the rock and roll singer. Linda's known as the balladeer. So I said to, I just norm, naturally assumed that I would get to sing the song. And then I thought, shit, maybe I should ask Matt, who was playing guitar for us at the time, you know, who does he want to sing the song? So I stupidly said, you know, who would you prefer? He goes, I'd actually prefer Linda to sing it. And I'm like, oh, you bastard. Okay. <laughs> so Linda got, Linda got the song and fair enough, he wrote it. He wanted to hear Linda sing it. And I think to his credit it was good because it it let Linda expand her. It, it made her go somewhere else with her singing style, you know, yeah. belts and sort of reach probably a lot higher than she normally would. So that was really great of Matt to do that. But when it came time to record the song, Linda said, look, let's sing it in unison, and that made it even more powerful. You know, we love singing in harmony, but the unison 
is it's got a very special sound because Linda has a much rounder, softer, mellow, kind of richer voice. Mine cuts through. When those two kind of meet, it's like opposites attract. So it worked. That was a good suggestion of Linda's. Yeah. Well, your mother sort of got you started with, okay, Linda, you've got the deeper voice, so you sing the lower one, and Vicky, you've got the higher voice, you sing the higher part. I was was really interested in um, your mother and, you know, she's from Tonga and... All of the islanders I know are great singers, really great singers. And then I was reading about it and I was very interested in your Tongan church that you went to because it sounds like a real hoot in that everybody <laughs> there sings really good. What? Tell me about the Tongan church because it sounds it sounds a lot better than St Francis de Sales where I went. <laughs> <laughs> we had really well, it, boring it, songs. We didn't go to St Francis. <laughs> no, well, good for you. Vicky, you go for it because, you know, you were a little bit older than me when we were sitting there listening to the Tongans for four hours every day for the five years that we went to church. Well, it's, it was punishing in a way but amazing in another. Right. Well, you know, our grandfather's church in Tonga is the Free Church of Tonga. That choir, that's, the people that sang in that church are incredible singers. They're from Vavau, which is the northernmost group of islands, mm-hmm. and they are great singers and I, that's where our mother learned how to sing. You know, the Tongans are great harmonisers, right. no doubt about it. You know, they can they can raise the roof in a different way to say an American gospel church would yep. be. This is kind of choir singing with um, very, very powerful and very emotional too. You, you, it's very moving. So that's kind of where it came from. Then when Mum came to Australia and started the the, the Tongan the Tongan society started arriving, they set up their church in Kew. Yep. Uh, in Melbourne, they formed their choir there and would sing songs from home. And Dad absolutely loved it, so he encouraged us to go every Sunday. And and it was it was a lot of praying, but the the best bit about it was the singing, and that's what we took away from that. You know, even though it was long because yep. the services often went for two or three hours, but the oh. the singing and and the singing was very uplifting and very moving. And our father really loved that, and we've got him, we've got to thank him for that you know, for mm. making us sit there and listen to it. Yeah. You know, and then he let us go and play. So it, while it was boring in one sense because it was all in Tongan and we couldn't really understand the language, it was the singing that, that made it so joyous. Yeah, look, you know, like Elvis and a lot of people start to learn to sing from their church and so I just, I just wanted to ask you about that. But also while I'm talking about Tonga, you went and performed for the King of Tonga. How did, tell us about that. You rec- yes. And you recorded as well. At some point. Well, that's, yeah. Was that in the same trip, Vic? His birthday coincided with a recording session that we were doing for the Princess Taboo album. Yes. It wasn't two trips, was it, Vic? Yeah. And it was also the National Weight Loss Competition, the judging of the National Weight Loss Competition. What? Okay. So so we had three reasons to go. The, the, The first one was sing on the king's lawn for the king for his birthday. And we were really nervous because there's a lot of protocol involved. You can't ever be higher than him. You have to never walk with your back to him, so you back out. And, you know, our oh. mother walked us through the protocols of being in front of a man that's so important. The king is the head of the country. So she talked us through that. We sang. He came and sat on his beautiful chair and had a little nap. Uh, mid song, I think. Get a little nap. So we sang him to a little nap. He fell asleep. It's hot. Right. It's hot. We thought, oh God, we put him to sleep, but we bored him to death. Yeah. (laughs) But But then uh, the weight loss, the weight loss competition was being judged, and so they were all the time. Tongans came out in their lycra and they were dancing on the lawn. It was the funniest thing we've ever seen and it was fantastic and, you know, it was a highlight of our career and I think that made our mum really happy too. <laughs> yeah, look, well, it sounds like one of those just great experiences that you just sort of get to have happen. But, you know, to sing for your king, I think that would be a great honour yeah. and, um, yeah, I'd be sort of telling everybody about telling them about Kev, like Kevin. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, well, I'm just I trying. He's nodded off. No, I was, yeah, I was having a little nap. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> doing like, 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 like the king. So the, so the Olympic. Did we put you to sleep too? <laughs> yeah, the, so the podium finish, one, two and three. Who gets who gets one, two and three? Nelson Mandela, the Dalai Lama or the King of Tonga? Who, who gets Ooh. gold, silver and bronze there for you? Oh, 
that, uh, that's too hard. You know, the king, the king of Tonga, he's so important because why the king, the, the kingdom and the Tongans love the kingdom is because Tonga's never been colonised, you know. Most of the Pacific has, you know, but the king, king Tonga is its own. They still have their, their royal family. They they answer to themselves and, and you know, they're, they're very proud of that fact, you know. Um, Nelson Mandela, my God, it's like it, the suffering he went through and it, it, and to, to be able to sing... And it was Reuben Hurricane Carter too. He was at the same time with him, so it was singing wow. for those two. You know, that was really, really special for us. And uh, we can't pick one. Dalai Lama was like freedom, a, ray freedom of, fighters. a ray of sunshine walked in the room when we met him. It was like, oh, you know, it was all very humbling experiences. Most interesting songs on the on the album is a song called Teeth. Tell us about picking that song and and uh, the the story behind that and the and the and the lady who wrote it too. Well, Teeth was written by Eva Seymour and she's Mark Seymour's daughter. And mm. uh, they'd sent a song, and Eva, Eva, when she sent it, I I listened to it on a walk through Fitzroy and loved it. Immediately fell in love with it and rang Bill Page from Mushroom Publishing. And said, "Can you can we please have a hold on this song? I want to play it to Vicar and played it to Vicar and, and our manager Lisa. And we felt that it needed a lyric rewrite just in the chorus, just to, because when Eva wrote the song, she wrote it when she was nineteen. And Eva is a really amazing young woman. She's an actress. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. And uh, and 
you know, not just Mark's daughter. She in, she's got the showbiz upbringing, but also she's got this incredible artistic kind of sense. She she gets it, you know. So she said, if you want to rewrite a little bit, I'll I'll rewrite them so that you can sing the song. And she she did that. She sat down with me, rewrote the song, took it to Vicar. Vicar liked it, didn't you, Vic? You thought it was more appropriate for us to sing. Yes. And then we just went in the studio and sang it. Uh, it came in late, but we wanted to kind of do a treatment on it with our uh, everything we'd learned about harmony in the studio over the years, and we just pulled it all out on that song. Oh. Yeah. No, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's a, different, different to anything else on the album. It is. It is, Kevin. You're right. It is very different. Yeah. You know, this is, it's, 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 it's. We sing in unison, then we harmonise, then we put another harmony on, then there's another part, and it's like, it's. It was really. It was really fun to put together and and like you know structure the song. It was it was it was really creative process. One of the things I know Brian's really really always talks about is the production on albums and how I reckon what they've got what you've got right on this album is that the stars of this album are you two, your voices, and the songs and the lyrics. And that mm. the production doesn't kill any of that off. It just it makes it better in every every song that's on the album, which is I reckon a really bloody good achievement for the for the people on the desk. Yes, thank you, yeah. Kevin. That means oh, a lot because because we did go in yeah. with that that was that was our that was our brief to the producers. It's it's all a, this record is about our singing. Nothing else. It's the songs and our voices, and they have to stand out. They have to be upfront, foremost. You know, it's that's that's what it was, and I think the that um, Stephen Tram and Cameron Bruce, who produced it, got it right. And when Stephen Tram mixed it, it was like, you know, he 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 didn't forget that brief. What is what's their background? I've I've heard the names, but I don't really. I'm not really familiar with Steve Scram or, or Cameron Bruce. What's their background? Obviously, producers, I suppose, and musicians and all of that. But how did you get to know them, and what's their background? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, Stephen Schramm, I'll jump in for Stephen, Vicky can talk about Cam. Um, Stephen Schramm, we first met him through Paul Kelly because he produced, co-produced three of Paul Kelly's albums. He did mm-hmm. Like Is Fine, which uh, was, you know, went to number one, yep. his big selling album for Paul. He did Nature, mm-hmm. uh, the follow-up album to that. Prior to that, he did the Merry Soul Sessions. That's where we first met Stephen. Right. And he came to Paul's attention because he also produced Clary Bound. Clary Brown's uh, record with the Bang and Rackets. So okay. he also did the Shakespeare albums with Paul. So we've done five albums with Shrammy in the studio. Right. So he got to right. know us as much as we got to know him over those yeah. five records. And we chose him because of what he did with our vocals. Yeah. Okay. What about Cameron Vicar? Well, Cameron, um, he's a musician, he's a piano player. And he. we met him a long time ago, 20 years ago or something like that. And he he's in Paul Kelly's band. He's our musical director and when we did the record, uh, he stepped up and, and co-produced it with with Stephen Schramm because he's a very good musician, like a wonderful piano player and understands harmony and all that sort of stuff. And he's very creative as well and we're very comfortable with one another. So that's that's how we got Cameron involved. Yeah, piano so, players so- are great because they've got so much theory because they've had to learn it when they learning to play piano, and That's then exactly right. they can work out any harmony. Oh, yeah, you want a fifth on yeah. that, you want a third there, let's put a seventh in there, whatever we're going to do. That's as, right. As a, as a guitarist, I've always been a bit envious of um, piano <laughs> players because they say, oh, look, I'll teach myself to play the guitar. They just And they seem to make more money than everybody else in the band, I reckon. Piano players? Yeah, they've always got some other gig or something on the side and they're a bit more organised and, you know, they're the musical director and uh, they always seem to make more... They seem a bit smarter than the rest of us, I reckon, um, because they're standing there about as daggy as a checkout chick at Coles, you know, they, you know the guitar, we're up the front and there they go, yes, uh, would you like a bag with that? And, uh, Jenny, you've got the flybys? You know, that's what they look like, but... Um, that yeah, is so true. That is so true. <laughs> you know, and Cameron, Cam, our, our Cameron is a mathematician. That's his yeah, first. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like, yeah. But he's no, he's no square. He's no square. No. He's like amazing. You know, like we always try to get him to face forward instead of backwards to the audience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Does he know the honky-tonk piano that, that is in the, the pig face <laughs> song? Is that him playing that? 
Yep. Yeah, that's, seemed- that's really good. I really like that. That really that song goes along, and then the next minute it goes bang, and you go, "Wow, I like that." Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's it. And that, that was his idea, you know, putting that in there. It was like, well, okay, cool. Hey, it works. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah, the whole album was great. Yeah, bloody hell. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, we love it too. Well, if you don't love it, you can't expect anybody else to love it. That's what I always say. It's no. Like, well, if I'm not <laughs> exactly. having fun on stage, I can't expect anybody else to enjoy it. So <laughs> That um, is so true. <laughs> when you, were, you were talking before about, um, you know, how – uh, Linda got to sing the song and, you know, you thought, Vicky, you were going to sing it. Over the years, like I know your mum sort of set you up, so like you'll do this part and you'll do that part, but over the years has there been many situations yeah. like that where you go, no, I want to sing that bit. No, I'm singing that. Does that happen or you just got a working pattern that just works? No, it's happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I think, it, I think it's happening happen. now, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, of course it's happened and it still happens, you know. It's like, of course, there's going to be songs that we both want to sing. Pig Face and Calendula, the one you just mentioned, Kevin, yeah. with the great honky you know, I wanted to sing that, you know. And Linda said, no, I'm singing it, you know. I, 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 I bags it first, I'm singing it. And she wouldn't back down. So it's like, okay, you sing it then. And, you know, she won that and she sang it great. So, you know, sometimes you've got to fight for the things you love. She did that, and I, I'm glad that she did. Now, Vicky, you used to work at um, Platinum Studios, yeah? Yes. Yeah, in the reception. And yes. that's how, where you did your first piece of recording because some backing singer didn't show up and you had to go in and, and fill in, and that's where you started your recording career. Yes. But I heard a rumour, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but I heard when Kylie was singing Locomotion... There were a couple of notes that needed to be fixed up and they got you in to fix them. Is that true? I'm not allowed to talk about that, Brian. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> that'll, that'll do. <laughs> I think I've got my answer. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what a Supreme Court judge would make out of that, but anyway. <laughs> no, it's a non-disclosure clause, uh, Kev, and yeah. uh, we won't be disclosing anything. That's fine. Oh, uh, okay. very nice. She's uh, pleading the fifth. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> hey, the one thing I've thought about when I'm listening to this album too is this album's going to sing on stage. This album's going to belt the hell out of the roof, knock the roof off the joint when you play this live. Yeah. We uh, hope so. That was our intention. hope so. Well, that's right. That was our intention to make a record that we could play live, that we could, we could, you know, it sound exactly like it does on the record. We're going to make it, make sure that when we do it live, it sounds exactly like it does on the record. That's always been important to us. Can we do this live? I think it's a good idea to, to write songs for live. You know, some songs, some records or songs you hear, they're great for listening at home by yourself and you just go, wow, that's great, I love it. And I think a lot of Beatles records are like that. They're great for listening to. But if you're going to play live, there's a lot more Rolling Stones songs that are, um, that are sorry, that's my, my agent <laughs> from LA ringing me up. Oh, um, yeah, no, sure. Right. Um, <laughs> but the Rolling Stones have got a lot of better Live, so all their songs work well live, where some of the Beatles songs wouldn't. And so I think it's a good idea to aim for live because you still get good songs, but sometimes you can do a song that's really great and you go and play it live and everybody goes to the toilet or to the bar because it's just the wrong sort of vibe for a live gig. I, I totally agree with that. We've all been doing it for long enough that, you know, we've made those mistakes. You know, we've gone in and, and recorded songs that like great on the record and then we go and play them live and it's like, crap. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, what were we thinking? You know, it's like, what, it, it, it's like, so, you know, I think experience has told us all it's like, yeah, you got to be able to do this live if you want, you know, and that's how we make our money touring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So we got to get out there and do it properly so that people go out to that merch tent and buy the record after the show. Yeah. How many's in your band and who's in your band? Okay, we've got uh, Cameron Bruce on piano. All right. Yep, Ash I know, I know all about Cameron Bruce. Rick and Bull told me about him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a legend. So you got Ash Naylor on guitar. Great. And uh, you know Ash? Yeah, I uh, Davey Lane on guitar as well. So you've got two guitar players. Great. Davey's a fantastic guitar player as well, both rock and guitar players. And then we've got a great new rhythm section that um, they played on the record as well, Richard Bradbeer on the bass and Lachlan O'Kane on the drums. So, okay. So yeah. a five-piece five band, two guitars, keyboards. And the rhythm section. Yep. And, and then you girls up the front. 
Well, sounds like yeah. a winner to me, Kev. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Vicar, you mentioned um, the, the 12 songs here and you went through a, a big process. Uh, have you got another albums with the songs sitting there ready to, to do now or have you have not even thought about that and just concentrated on this one? No, we've already thought about that. Yes, yeah. Kevin. We ain't waiting 19 years for the next one, you know. <laughs> but he's 70 years old or something ridiculous like that. So... <laughs> We, we we do. We have we've started, and some of those songs that got left off the list are, are, are on our next are on the short list for the rec- the next record. Beautiful, Alicia. Your manager came okay. up with the, the name of this one. The way she comes up, she's really good with names. She's really great with names. She she's named a couple of bands' albums uh, titles, and she came up with Sunday for our last gospel album. She came up with this one, The Wait. So we were, we're tossing around the titles. It's kind of we thought, does it need to be a song off the record or can it just be a word that, you know, we feel relates to the theme of the record? And she said, what about the weight? And we went, yeah, good good suggestion. I think it's great we've got a manager like that that's, that's you know, helps us, that's part of the team. She's creative as well. You know, she's not just sitting there trying to, you know, do the money and the business side of things. She's very much involved in you know, sitting down, listening to the songs as well. So she, we work very closely with her. It's very important. And, you know, we're just very lucky to have a, a person. She put the album in order too, you know. Oh, right. she okay. Was, yeah. She did the play, the, yeah, you know, because she's a DJ as well. When she's not managing, she's she, – so she's – but we're like, okay, there you go. And she was fantastic. It's like we, we're very lucky to have her. Hey, uh, I'm glad I'm glad we got the chance to catch up and have a chat with you about this album. Uh, it's it's a bloody great album. Looking forward to uh, listening to it many many more times. But also, oh, really looking forward to hearing it live. And now that we can actually open the doors and go to gigs and see people perform live again, looking forward to that. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time. It's been great. Thank you both. And apparently, you'll be allowed to have more than twenty at the My Music Bowl, which is great. <laughs> the My Music Bowl, if you get under twenty. It looks shit. <laughs> Any vibe. Actually, you, know, you need at least 35 people there to get the vibe going. <laughs> I, remember, I remember seeing you at the bowl, Brian, um, playing at the bowl. It was one of the best concerts I went to. Are you were drunk that day, I bet. No, I wasn't drunk. <laughs> I it was so much fun. Oh, well, we, we, you try to have fun, as I said before, you know. When was that, Vic? Fun. I can't expect anybody else to. Uh, I, I was in my 20s. Was it one of those mushroom concerts? Right. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was about 30 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, right. th- thank you both for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been lovely to catch up. And, uh, and again, congrats on the record. It's bloody brilliant. Yeah, it's a great album and a great thank career. You. It's, you know, only going to continue to blossom. So well done, girls. Good on you.
That is the song we talked about with the piano, uh, which is so good in that. It's called Pig Face and Calendula, which is not the new name of this show, even no. though... Even Not though bad. There's I a, like it. Yeah, there's there's possibilities there for it. Calendula. Yeah, yes. that's, that's a good name. So, who would you be in that uh, in that particular? Um, I'd probably be Calendula. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Had a feeling that might be where that was going. Oh, big face. What are we doing? <laughs> All right. We're talking to Angry Anderson. Angry's got a brand new uh, song out. Well, it's not a brand yeah. new song. It's as you'll hear in the interview. It's an old song, but yeah. you and Ang- you and Angry have knocked around a bit together, haven't you? And we, we don't talk about that in this interview, but we're going to get him back on to talk about that stuff. But you two have known each other for a yeah, while. Yeah, I get on quite well with Angry. I went. Um, I had a really good day with him. Um, they were on a boat for remembering John English, so I hooked up with Angry Anderson and um, oh Jack Thompson. And, oh, we give it a real good nudge. And, <laughs> and Jack Thompson, he's amazing. He's like, he's pretty full, you know, he's out of few and he's sort of slurring and then he's got to get up and say a few words and I'm thinking, oh, this could be good. Uh-oh. And he gets up and this most eloquent, beautiful voice comes out and he just nails it. Then he gets off, has another drink and he's like, ah. <laughs> but when it comes to, to do the thing, he was excellent. Oh, Wow. Uh, I spent the day with Angry that day, and um, we had a good time. Yeah. Angry's a, a ripping, uh, ripping human being. I mean, he's a, he's a great frontman yeah. for the Tats, and uh, and we'll talk about this new band that he's got going, which has a connection with uh, with you and the some of the stuff yeah. you've done recently with Tim Henwood. But uh, yeah, he's a ripping human being. So it's it's great to have him on the show. But as as I said, we'll get him back on to talk about the other stuff, yeah, not this yeah. stuff. That'd be good. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna delve into that uh, at a later time. He's not really angry these days. He's just slightly miffed. <laughs> All right. He's, he's mellow. He's slightly miffed Anderson these days. He's not full-on angry. Just well, are you, are you Brian Mannix or are you the real Brian Mannix? I'm just Brian Mannix. It's the real Brian Mannix. Well, well yeah, it is, but, um, you know, that's not really the big deal. I think the big deal is, is your new song. <laughs> it's a big deal to me. Your new song is fantastic. You've yeah. Gone down, you've gone down sort of Black Funky Street. It's rocking, but it's... Well, it's, no, no, no. Bit. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal if I'm talking to the real Brian Mannix. I mean, this is the person that was in <laughs> Chopper. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, I wasn't in Mad Max. You were. So, you know, you got me beat on that. Hey, mate, I think you've you trumped me, though, being in Chopper. Are you kidding Oh, Chopper's a great film. I'm, I was really ha- happy to have a small part in a good film. But Mad Max was a pretty huge film all around the world. And, you know, that was fantastic. And you got the Howzo stuff and your, your other acting. You're doing a lot of acting. And I would have given it all away to be in, in Chopper. I remember um, Mark once said to me, God rest his soul, um, maybe that's not the right turn of phrase, but um, he said uh, when, when, when he was a lout, <laughs> when he was allowed, he right. said, "Oh, you know, the tats love the tats, mate. Love the tats." So I went, "Yeah, you know, okay, cool." Didn't really sort of mean that much to me in those days, but uh, no, mate. I just it's one of my favourite moments. Uh, anyway, to 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 talking business, shall we? Shall we? Let's talk. Tell us about the new song. When when all this sort of came to be? Uh, hang on a minute. I'm getting the, I'm getting the earpiece here because I'm as deaf as a post. <laughs> well, stand in front of Rose Tattoo for long enough, that's going to happen. Okay, quick history of the song. You got me? Yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, it's like you're in my head. Quick history <laughs> of the song. Take yourself back to 1977, around about 77 into 78. Lobby Lloyd, the living, well, he's not living anymore. God rest his soul. He was playing bass with Rose and Tower. He was heavily involved with some people that were forming the then-fledgling marijuana party to, um, to, to, to try and get um, the decriminalisation. Because in those days, we'd all just started to smoke the wonderful green. Basically, there was too many people ending up with criminal records and or going to jail for sometimes 18 months, sometimes two years, three years, you know, just for the idea of having a, you know, a pocket full of green to smoke uh, recreationally. But anyway, so... Lob said um, the marijuana party uh, want 
you know, they want some band, some musicians to um, to write some songs in support of it. Uh, hence the original version. I can't remember actually who um, the artist was, but there was a, a, a really um, nonsense song on the B side of the of the uh, of the called Bong On Aussie Bong On, which turned out <laughs> which, which which turned out to be a better sort of pop song actually than Realize Legalized. And, and actually it was the, the result of a jam. We went to a, I remember going to a, a rehearsal studio, a recording studio um, in Melbourne, and we just sat around and um, and just jammed and came up with that track. And we we thought that we would come back later and refine it into a song. Anyway, for one reason or another, it never happened. And then about six months later, it, it was pressed, I think, 50 or 100 copies. I have about 40 of them. <laughs> so it never really went anywhere, never really got anywhere. But the song has been laying around for all that time. And um, my support and my belief that um, in, in, in the cannabis genus uh, now, of course, is uh, thrown uh, behind the, the medicinal use, which is why I suggested that possibly we could resurrect the song with my new band, which um, is a well-established Melbourne band. They are not previously known. They are known as in their own uh, identity as Palace of the King. We became acquainted because they were doing opening spots for the Rosie Pats, and um, I fell in love with the band musically. Um, they've got a beautiful 70s influence, which is, which is exactly what I was looking for, for that kind of musical influence for my own band. So it was a marriage made in heaven, really. And um, when we talked about writing or doing our, you know, some some of our own material apart from playing covers, the Legalize uh, came up as a tune. And I gave it to the boys. I said, "Look, if you can do something that's really original, if you like, or, or something different, because um, the, the musicality in Palace of the King is just amazing. They are just a very, very." Very talented young bunch, well, a bunch of young blokes, because they're, they're only sort of like in their 30s and 40s, which the bloke my age, that's very young. Timmy Henwood, who's the sort of guitar player, singer in Dallas, said to me one day, played me a demo, and he said, what do you think of this? And I thought, I, I loved how different it was from what I expected, let alone what anyone else might expect from the Angry Anderson band. Because no one really uh, knows what the band uh, is going to end up sounding like. But, we're, I mean, of course, us in the band, we've got a fair idea where we're going to go musically. You know, like I said, they, they had the right influences in their music anyway. So when, when I heard the treatment that they gave, uh, realised, I was just, I just thought, yeah, I'm in the right place with the right people at the right time. Funny you should say that. Um well, during COVID, it was on. I did a record with Tim Henwood too. Um, he's a he's a fantastic musician and a great bloke. Did he did he produce the record or yeah? What what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, he he he's basically uh, on the demos. Um, he played everything, as far as I know. Um, mm. I think the first person that he dragged into the studio, particularly with the track "Legalize," um, was the drummer, and then he's added the other players as we've gone along. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I just found the whole band, I mean, the Tim's outstanding, but um, um, he put it all together. I just sort of thought to myself, you know what, when I heard the track, it was nothing like I thought it was going to come out as. You know, because we're talking about uh, the common interest that we all have. Uh, my favourite band has always been Rod Stewart and the Faces. Right. Um, and, and that's my favourite sound. It's my favourite my favourite. Um, music paid, you know, like I'm, I, I love them more than I love any other band apart from the Beatles. But when I first heard the Palace play, I thought, I'm hearing in there, I'm hearing these wonderful, you know, the the sort of the early 70s, the Spencer Davis groups, you know, the sort of like, yeah. um, you know, that, that amazing R&B, white English uh, playing, you know, black man's music sound. Anyway, when I heard the uh, the, the, the realise legalised, I just thought, wow, this is this is if not brand new, it's so close to being brand new. It was, it was very exciting for me um, to hear uh, this 
what I consider to be like a brand new approach to, to this song. It's been around, like I said, since the late 70s. And um, it was just, like I said, it was, an, it was just an idea. It was just the result of a jam. And, and these boys, Timmy and, and the, the boys, have made it into a, into, into a song. I mean, um, I've done a lot of press, as you can imagine, over the last week or two. And um, uh, one of the things that's, uh, which I've relayed to, to the boys immediately was the the accolades that the players and the track are getting. Um, they're just saying, well, apart from the fact that it's timely that someone comes out and does something in support of medicinal, the use of medicinal cannabis. Because, um, you know, it was around for a, a thousand, if not two thousand years historically. We know that that's fairly accurate and it was used medicinally and its medicinal qualities were known far and wide. And the most poignant uh, story I ever heard which was a few years ago now, I was down in Adelaide and I was actually doing a, a benefit for a woman who was dying of cancer. She did try, um, you know, traditional methods, the chemo, et cetera. What got her, what her got through uh, that, that really difficult time was using cannabis oil, which she was obtaining uh, illegally, of course, um, because the prescription stuff, yes, I mean, there's an argument for... Oh, yeah, but you can always get it on prescription. No, you can't. It's a, they, they make you jump through hoops. There's a huge lot of, uh, you know, bureaucracy involved, so that should tell the story. Once the bureaucrats get involved, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. But it's very difficult to obtain that the measurements or the dosages are, in, in, a lot, in a lot of cases, inadequate for what they're applying them to. And it's just too hard to come by. It's too expensive. You know, I'm at a family, and I've, I've told the story a dozen times in the last couple of weeks that I met uh, one of a family who's um, it's quite a famous case. The father went to jail for buying oil. So his child, um, a child under two years old, had developed seizures. The, the seizures grew in intensity and in frequency over like a six-month period. And so... This poor little 18-month-old child was having these violent physical uh, seizures, which must have been damaging her poor little mind um, irreparably, and and they were getting more frequent. So she was having one about, like, let's say every hour to 20 minutes to half, uh, an hour and a half. So that's how many seizures a day, day and night, that the, the, the child was experiencing. So someone suggested to this family that they try cannabis oil. So the father obtained some um, and it cut the seizures. Over over the weeks of administration, those early weeks, went from having a, a seizure of one, you know, let's say, every 90 minutes to about two or three a day. Um, and that, that way the child was able to start to eat normally, to sleep normally, and, and to get some semblance of a, you know, a normal life, you know, which, of course, you know, every every child is entitled to. Um, and that was just one story. So those sort of, hearing those sort of things over the last 10 years or whatever has uh, convinced me that um, there must be a concerted push by, by us, the citizens. We, we need to be educated. We need to be aware of the fact that this is... Uh, a, a wonderful humanitarian uh, drug, and it's available. I mean, it comes from the natural realm. No one invented this one. Um, it just is. And we, we, we should be um, wise enough, smart enough, intelligent enough, uh, sophisticated enough in our in our thinking to, uh, to be able to have a debate openly and honestly, put it all on the table and, and basically say, well, okay, if this thing can benefit so many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Australia alone, let alone the millions around the world, yeah. and, and and most countries are grappling with this issue as we speak. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know Olivia Newton-John um, uses a lot of uh, marijuana oil to fight, to fight her cancer, and um, I've known other people that have got the uh, marijuana oil, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's healing properties are amazing. Um, you know, if you've got... 
nausea from chemo or something. It's really good at fixing that up. As you said, the seizures and stuff. And I hope your new song actually um, does legalise it because I've got a lot of shares in medicinal marijuana and it's not making me any money at the moment. Do you know, I heard a story. I'll tell you, mate, this this will put a a smile on your face. Apparently there's there's several high-profile people in America that have already invested... Uh, in growing, you know, like sizable crops to, to hand over basically to the government uh, for for use medicinally. I think the singer they they might have been talking about someone like Kid Rock, if not Kid Rock. I know that it was they were uh, at pains to try and say, oh, you know, like he's a rap, he's a rap guy, he's a white guy, and he's very controversial. Blah blah blah. They couldn't actually pick a name, and I just thought, well, but the other person was uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, Apparently, exactly. I don't know, I haven't checked it out yet. I haven't asked haven't asked uh, face parts for a, a fact check on that one. But um, <laughs> one of the most often asked questions is, well, okay, why is it still illegal? Um, you know, what are the impediments to it? Well, of course, legislation is the first place. So the, Mar- the, uh, the Marijuana Party in Australia, which is... Uh, I think they've got a branch now in, in every state, if not every state. Uh, they're trying to get enough votes, uh, enough members, sorry, enough members so that they can uh, they can put a candidate forward for the Senate and right. um, start getting some, some political clout because it's, um, you know, uh, I don't know, let's, let's not get bogged down in it, but it's, it became obvious to me years and years ago, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, that neither of the major parties uh, are even worth considering anymore as um, a viable leadership for the country because they seem to have um, both, for their own reasons, lost their way. I don't think they listen to, um, to to us rank and file anymore. I don't think they have for a long, long, long time. They certainly don't use our issues. The issues like almost like the perfect example. I mean. Um, Apart from the fact that we've probably got the worst record in the world of, of how we manage our water, um, they said, oh, you know, uh, climate change and, you know, with a, it's, I think it's going back to climate warming now, but climate change and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, water is, it, climate change, one of the things it's produced is drought. So they haven't produced drought. It's, it's just brought it to, into the focus, right? Because Australia always has always had drought. Yeah. As it's always had fire, as, as it always has had floods, you know. I love a land of sweeping plains, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you were a half-by smart government, state and or federal, and you know that this country yeah. is prone to two things, bushfires and drought, still yeah. more dams. It's not rocket science. You know what I mean? It's like that's why I know that they both lost their way. Anyway, let's not get bogged down on yeah. that. But the first the main impediment or the obstacle within, in, in the way is uh, getting it passed or getting it passed into legislation so that you, you don't, you can't be criminally prosecuted like that family I was telling you about. Yeah. Um, did, I, did I mention that? The father willingly went to jail and said, yes, I did. And I did it and I will do it again. And luckily he appeared at his appeal in front of a judge who turned around and said, what normal father wouldn't do what you've done. Good work. Yeah, he, absolutely. He, he relieved his child of pain. What father or mother wouldn't do the same? Most mothers and fathers would take a bullet for their kids. Exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, Angry, we reserve the right to have you back on the program again to talk about, you know, the, the wild old days and all the uh, the fun times you and Brian have had. We've kind of run out of time to talk about. <laughs> you know that we can't talk about some of that stuff. Oh, yes, we can, and we and, and we will. But, hey, good luck with this record. Uh, we're happy to get behind it and promote it for you in any way that we can. So uh, thank you thank you for having a chat to us about uh, about that, and we'll uh, we'll get you back on again soon to have a chat about all the other stuff. No ruckus, any time. Listen, I want Brian. I want your opinion. What what style of music would you call the track? I'd say it's seventies black funky stuff. It's almost funk. You, you. He's my man. He's my man. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. like you know. I can imagine um, Starsky and Hutch going down to see Huggy Bear, and that sort of <laughs> in the background. You know, it's like. 
You know, you imagine Starsky and Hutch going and Huggy Bears saying something. Hey, you guys better be careful. Got some heavy hitters coming in from Chicago. These guys are <laughs> yeah. Be careful. <laughs> that, yeah, that'd be fun to you. Nah, mate, I, I'm, you nailed it. Good on you, brother. Beautiful. All right, mate. It, mate. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and have a chat any time with you, Brian. You know that. Beautiful. Yeah, man. Thanks, Angry. Good Take on. care, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, brothers. Thank you. your Huggy Bear impersonations. That is the actual song. That's Realise, Legalise. The Angry Anderson Band is what it's called. And All that's right. their debut single. That's available now. And obviously, as Angry mentioned, uh, it's got uh, got some meaning behind it, as well as uh, just being, um, quite frankly, a really good song. Yeah, funky. Yeah. Angry goes funky. Yeah. It's good. And 70s funky, and um, which we discussed. But, um, no, I really like it. It's sort of... Um, it's a little bit different for him, but it's also close enough to what he does so that it doesn't alienate. It'll get him new fans and it won't alienate his old fans. be interesting to see uh, that band uh, in playing with the Palace Kings um, uh, with Tim Henwood and the boys. That'll be that'll be a really interesting combination yeah. if that's the start of their relationship. Wow. Well, that's going to be good, really good. Absolutely. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition of uh, Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix. That is the podcast. With thanks to our very good friends at Murcotts. Don't forget those big Christmas, uh, the big savings on the on the Christmas safe driving gift vouchers available on the website murcotts.edu.au. 
Good Simple Christmas present. Good Absolutely. Christmas present. Uh, we're next yeah. we meet on Life of Brian, Swanee, mm-hmm. Jack Jones, we've got them all coming uh, in the next uh, couple of episodes of this and a big Christmas episode to finish. Fantastic. Well, it's going to be a great finale to the end of the year. Yeah, fin- will be. Fin- fin- <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back to bed. <laughs> he only does this, he does this podcast in between appearances in the in the cot because that's that's uh, it's about where he sits these days. I was too tired to even mention poo jogging. If you that. get you know if you get like a series of about three or four weeks in a row where you get a couple of gigs each weekend, you'll be you'll be a, in <laughs> you won't be worth talking to. Oh, I'm not match fit. That's for sure. But, <laughs> yeah. um, nice to have gigs back. It is indeed. It's. Um, Nice to sort of think, yes, I will be able to pay my bill. Good. Not your bill to society, just your bill to the electricity, the gas and all those ones. Those those crappy bills, yeah. Uh, Take care of yourself. Uh, Next time, Jack Jones, Swanee, you name it, we've got them on. Oh, great. Beautiful.